Luke chapter 24. You know, today is our last day in the gospel of Luke, and we will begin the second part of the story in the book of Acts next week. In, in a way, we're going to look at those first few verses and, and really use those to understand what's been happening this whole time. We have been in this gospel for 67 weeks. How many of you were here in August of 2020? We just raise your hands for me. So a good number of you have really held through. There is a fine line between faithfulness and stubbornness, and you can't always tell which one of those two that it is. So you are either faithful or stubborn. Um, praise God if it's faith, and well, I'm just happy you're still here if it's stubbornness. Think back for just a minute when we started this, August 30th of 2020. At that time, we were in the midst of making decisions about masks and distancing and whether or not to open the buildings. The cost of a gallon of gasoline was $2.25. And few people knew much about Ukraine. That's the way the world was. We were all, no matter of any of those things, we were all, every single one of us, were a year and a half younger. I pray we were less wise than we are now. Hopefully the trajectory of wisdom is going in the right direction. But, but really, I asked a question of myself looking back, because every time I look back at a time, life, it doesn't matter if it was in the middle of 2020 or, or whenever, I'm always, like nostalgia always seems simpler. It always, like the past always seems more simple for some reason, no matter what was going on. Like, there is never a time more chaotic in my mind or stressful than the present. No matter when I'm looking back, it just always seems simpler. I don't know why that is. But as I was, I was thinking through, through the, the last 67 weeks, I really had a question of myself. Am I more or less hopeful about the future than I was a year and a half ago? Like, what is the trajectory of my hope? And am I growing increasingly Hopeful or cynical or pessimistic. And, and by the way, when I talk about hope today, y'all know me well enough to know I'm not talking about the fluffy bunny kind of hope, like it's all Skittles and rainbows, right? Like that's not the hope I'm talking about. I'm talking about a real hope, like a persistent hope, a convictional hope, a spirit-given hope that, that it is going to be okay, notwithstanding some trial and adversity. But I'm talking about real hope, gritty hope. Am I more hopeful or less hopeful? And I kind of, I think about all the 67 weeks that we've spent in the Gospel of Luke and where we've been on Sunday morning. So for an hour of our week, we've been, I mean, do I remember, can I remember dealing with Jesus as he defeats Satan's temptations in the wilderness or cleansing that leper, healing the paralytic in the Galilean ministry, calming the storm, feeding 5,000. Peter confessing Jesus as Christ. Jesus then turning his eyes towards Jerusalem. Something Luke tells us about the whole time as he turned to set his eyes on Jerusalem. And Jesus confronting the Pharisees and the self-righteous in the city streets. Do I remember the parable of the lost sheep, the dishonest manager, the last supper, his arrest, his trial, his crucifixion? And how has, how has the reality that's been unfolding on the pages of Luke uh, overlaid or mingled with what's happening in the world around me? I, I hope that seeing who Jesus is, maybe in a fresh way, but in a certainly a methodical way in Luke's gospel, 
that your hope has been renewed and your conviction and confidence in hope has been awakened. And if not, the way that Jesus leaves his disciples and ascends to the Father is one of the most hopeful commissions. It is the most hopeful commission in all of history. And so I just want to put forth today, as we close this book, that there is hope. This is my thesis. That there is hope. That there's hope for the neighborhoods and the nations. I think what we're going to see in here is, I see we're going to see some of the reason there is hope in a very real way. Uh, but I also think that there's a real challenge and calling to the church to be this hope in the midst of the nations. And so for you to convey and proclaim hope, I would argue you have to be hopeful yourself. So let's open the book. We're going to read verses 36 through the end of the book. As Jesus' disciples are trying to figure out what's been going on, and two men who have just seen the Lord Jesus on the Emmaus Road come in to give their report, and the story begins. And they were talking about these things. Jesus himself stood among them, and he said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought that they saw a spirit or a ghost. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. And then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. This is the Holy Spirit of God. But he says, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. By the way, as I, before I pray, I, I don't know if there's been a church service like this since, but can you imagine the worship in this moment? And then they went back to the temple blessing God, and they've been telling the story ever since. So, Father, we're going to just deal with what you say and what you show in the text today. So would you honor that and, uh, and bless this time? Would you open our eyes so that they may see, open our ears so they may hear? Give us hope that transcends and even confronts the hopelessness in our world around us.
And Lord, lead us to be faithful. Faithful to the proclamation of repentance and forgiveness of sins. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So there is a, a, an institute at Penn State. Uh, imagine being the institute director that you study the American mood. That's your job. You take surveys and you study the American mood. What, what a gig, huh? In November and December of 2021, they conducted their Mood of the Nation survey, something they do quite regularly. And they found that 84% of Americans say that they are either extremely or very worried. So 84% of Americans have a great degree of worry about the future. It's, for reference, it's growing increasingly higher is the way that the mood is going in terms of worry. And it is. It's very simple, very easy to become worried. Worry, unanswered, leads to cynicism, leads to a jaded perspective of reality. Worry can put you into downright pessimism in a world like ours. But I want to challenge you in this because this is kind of the, 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 the path of least resistance. Sit down at the breakfast table with your friends, with your family members. It's not hard to pick some bad news out, throw it in the middle of the table, and then just eat on that for the rest of the meal. It's not difficult. I mean, you think about it. You walk into a store, you go into the gym, and it's rainy and cold outside. What's the easiest thing to say? Boy, sure nasty out there, isn't it? You think we could get some nicer weather, and then we get nicer weather. It's warm, it's beautiful, maybe a little too warm. And what's the first thing you say? Boy, it's hot out there. It's just easy. It's simple. There's no risk. There's no vulnerability. It's really simple to walk in and bring up something bad. There's a whole lot of risk to, your per to yourself, to the relationship. It's just easy to talk about bad, pessimistic stuff. Don't do it. Don't succumb even to those small moments. This is, I'm talking to myself here. I'm preaching to myself. Don't conform or believe the lie that this world is, is, is hopeless. Don't fall into that trap. Because ultimately, that kind of mindset over the course of time builds itself up into cynicism and jadedness and pessimism. And Listen, we can talk about all the variables at work right now on the global stage. We can talk about gas prices and inflation and Ukraine and, 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 and race division and all of this stuff. But, but when we look at the pages of this book, and we, we can, it's almost like we can look back and say, yeah, they had it tough, but they just, there's so much complexity in 2022. There's so many layers. They didn't have social media, you know, biting down their backs. But I promise you, when we look at the pages, the world Jesus walked, the world that we find ourselves in, it wasn't that much different. Power and pride corrupted men then as it does now. Nations raged then, people plotted in vain then, and as they do now. Evil was as real then as it is now. Hopelessness was as frequent then as it is now, as overwhelming in these days as it is in our days. And even so, in the midst of all that, hope was also real. Even in the midst of that, the glory of the resurrected Christ, the resurrected Christ in the midst of this supposedly hopeless world is proclaiming repentance and forgiveness of sins as hope for the nations. And this isn't distant. This isn't a distant hope, y'all. That's the beauty of the Christian gospel. This is not just the story of a prophet who died. This is not just the story of a wise teacher whose teachings were enshrined and used as the basis for Eastern religion. 
This is not just a God who sits on high, looks down on the earth as his footstool as it is, and leaves a hands-off approach, and leaves little humans to do as they do. This is a real hope, flesh and blood hope. This Jesus, specifically in Luke's gospel, repeatedly wants us to see the realness, the flesh and blood, the incarnational ministry of Jesus. He is in the room with them. Hope is not far out. He's in the room. In fact, so much so that he eats broiled fish. Some manuscripts have the better part of that meal in my mind, which is the honeycomb. He sat down and he ate broiled fish and honeycomb. This was a good meal, by the way. Even Matt would disagree. He does not like fish. But Jesus eats fish. You should too. So, so, like, so there's this beautiful notion where, where Christ is not out there as some ethereal or some philosophy, some, some notion in the heavens, in the heavens alone. He's sitting down and he's saying, listen, and look how Luke focuses on this. I want you to touch me. I want you to know that I'm a human. I'm not a ghost. I'm not just a spirit. I'm not this image that you, that, you, that you think you see. I'm eating a meal with you. The beauty of this, by the way, is, is just that nothing's changed. This is the body of Christ in, in Christ, and the body of Christ has now been distributed to the church. Like incarnational ministry, being present with people is still the MO of Christ and his church. But here's what I'm saying is, is so beautiful about this. These are real guys, real dudes, who are, the, the, the book says that they are, they disbelieved for joy. Even still yet, they disbelieve for joy. You know why? Because they're just like you. And, and, and that language essentially means this. This is too good to be true. I can't believe this stuff. This is too good to be true. Like here they are eating fish with Jesus with holes in his hands and his feet, and there's still a disbelief. They lived in the same notion you do. How many times have you heard just that you got that curmudgeon in your family, ain't nothing to lie free, right? They tell you that kind of stuff. They're just those kind of people, right? They're just like, well, I hate to know what he's going to ask for later. I mean, that kind of person, like, they're just like that. This is too good to be true. Ain't nothing in life free. I mean, they're, from, they're from Boone, North Carolina. So that's their disbelief. They are immersed in realism. <laughs> They're immersed in the world around them. Again, we've said it. Dead people typically, there are exceptions to the rule, dead people typically don't walk. And so they're living out your life in a world that is as it seems, right? And so here is the ghost of Jesus, and they disbelieve for joy. It's just so too good to be true, but we want it to be true. And Jesus confronts their disbelief in the flesh. All the philosophy and all the arguments and all the apologetics of the day won't win out a Christian brother or sister going to someone in pain and being present with them, being with people in the midst of their journey. This is why we call ourselves, we are more than just, uh, one philosopher says we are more than machines, right, with the soul inside of us. We are embodied. There is a connection between the physical and spiritual reality in Christianity. Hear this. This is why we have resurrected bodies ourselves. This is what Romans 6 is about. We've talked about it this morning. I don't know exactly how it will look, and I don't want to get into the theology of how our resurrected bodies will be or won't be, but the point is, is that this physical world is not just a waste. Like, there's something to it. There is something that matters. This is why a hug, a touch, as Jesus gives them, matters so deeply. We are embodied souls, and there is a deep connection in this. Jesus' resurrected body is right on display in front of us in the text, by the way. 
We see him coming as a mighty warrior with some different descriptions, but ultimately, this is what we're after. And I think that we see this as unique to the Christian gospel because our hope is flesh and blood. Our hope is is demonstrated through incarnational ministry. That means being with and amongst people. Being with people. That's what it means. And so the first emphasis in this text, and Luke does this, by the way, he's, 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 if you look at the beginning of, of chapter 24, where the women go to the tomb and the angels confront them, and then uh, they, they go back, and then Peter goes, and he doesn't ever see the body of Jesus, but he sees the linens there, and, and there's all these reactions, and then you go to Emmaus, and, and then you have this interaction. There's a lot of common theme, like repetition going on here. Jesus teaches the scriptures. He shows himself in the scriptures and he is embodied. He's a, but this passage, he, he wants us to see that he is near and close to those disciples. Reach out and touch my wounds and let us eat together. There's, there's hope in this and it's brought near. It's a real hope. It's literally look out and see it. The second thing for hope, the second reason for hope is the way in which Jesus talks about himself yet again in this passage. Even in the disbelief, if you'll notice, I mean, they're, they're disbelieving, but, what, but finally he eats a meal with him and then he says, listen, do you remember the words I spoke to you? Let me teach you the Bible. And yet again, he opens the Bible to his disciples. And it specifically says that he shows them everything written in the law of Moses which is the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, the prophets, we know the prophets, and the Psalms, which would be the Psalms and all the poetic Proverbs, those kind of things in the middle of the Bible. So he, he shows them the entire Hebrew, the Hebrew Bible and says, here I am in the Bible. Now, last week, just an aside, I mentioned this, and we talked about this a little bit more, how Jesus is the center and the subject of every word, every letter in the Old Testament. And I said, hey, we got a couple books for you, biblical theology and 30 days to understanding the Bible. Go get some, and y'all just got them quick. They were all gone, ordered more. There are more up there if you want those books, and you weren't able to get one last week. But they'll be gone too, and then there'll be more that will come. It just keeps, just keeps backfilling. But so, so I talked about that last week. And, and listen, this is not, again, this is not Jesus uh, doing, all right, Jesus is not necessarily pulling out the bookmark with chapter and verse and saying, now, if you will turn to Psalm 16, you'll see me there too. Like, that's not the way that Jesus is going about this. In fact, we see later that, that, that what, what Jesus is doing is, is showing them the salvation and hope that has been built through all of history. So here's what one commentator says. Jesus opening the scriptures to them ensures the disciples grasp fully how the past, present, and future of God's activity belong to one great mural of salvation. And what he's doing is showing them from the very beginning that Jesus has been the answer to the problem, that Jesus has been God's plan A even before time began. And so he's revealing himself that it was not the plan B scenario. This is the kind of the idea that we often get that, oh, in the beginning, God created Adam and Eve and he set them in the garden. And then he was like, man, we're just going to, we're going to just enjoy each other all day long. And then one day that darn Eve ate that fruit and God said, oh, what am I going to do now? And then he called Jesus out of the bullpen and Jesus like, put me in coach. Yeah, you go get them here in a few thousand years. No, that's not the way it works. Jesus has been 
We know this from the Bible. Ordained, called to the cross before the very beginning. That God has, even in the creation of the garden, Adam and Eve, he has been planning his redemption for humanity through Christ. Now that for me, when I read Genesis 1 and 2 through that lens, it awakens my soul in a way that uh, I had never experienced reading Genesis 1 and 2. Because before I was like, oh man, I know what's coming, I know what's coming. But now to see the way that God cares and entrusts Adam and Eve with creation and all of these things, knowing, knowing even then the cost of such a, such a task would be his son. Colossians is this beautiful, poetic writing that Paul gives us on this point. It says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. He continues in verse 20 of that same passage and says, And through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Colossians 1 is this beautiful statement of Christ's preeminence and God's design, the Father's design for reconciliation through Christ. This means that all of Scripture is a mural of salvation. The story of the world does not have a bad ending. Believe me. It's not a bad ending, y'all. It's salvation. And we've got to stop living and reading the narrative like it's new. You see, if, if we say, oh, it is new. There are these 15 things going on in the world today. No, no, they're, they're not. It, it's, it's just a, a different lens over the same old problems. And that doesn't make it go away. That doesn't make it less significant. But what I'm saying, we've, we've got to stop reacting to news cycles as though it's truly new. And to see that the, and to believe, even us, if, if they could believe that we believe that the ending is hopeful for those in Christ. If we don't believe the ending is hopeful, then the whole, the whole gospel proclamation just erodes around it. If we don't believe there's a hopeful ending for those in Christ, then there is no need to proclaim Christ. So, so I believe that, that the hope here, just seeing out, is, 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 is the realness of hope, like flesh and blood. This is not something out there that we're talking about. This is near and dear in the flesh. And, and by the way, that is, the pow that is literally the language Look at that you will be clothed in the power the power will be brought near is the Holy Spirit, right? 
And secondly, that God has been working the salvific history through all of time. And here's what Jesus says through that. Here, here now, I want you to know what all of scriptures do. He continues in verse 46. Understand all of the scriptures that this may happen, that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. It's a three-part direction. There are three directions that Jesus is pointing to in and through all of the scriptures. These three things are all connected. They all go together. You can't separate one from the other. I want to deal with the Messiah must suffer first and rise from the dead. This is, this is Jesus saying, I have accomplished this for you. The reason for hope is what I have accomplished. I have accomplished the sacrifice that is, that is not only significant, but it is sufficient. What happened on the cross is a fancy word called the substitutionary atonement. Simply stated, we've sung about it, we talk about it, but what it essentially means is that Jesus died on the cross in our place. He takes the punishment for our sins. But here's what's significant about that, is that in Christ and his punishment, God's justice is satisfied. God's justice is satisfied. What is God's justice demand of sin? It demands wrath be laid out to sin. And Jesus takes it all. And it is sufficient. We know this because the Father raised Christ from the dead. And so, so Christ has completed and sufficiently completed the calling. But what is this third piece? Repentance and forgiveness of sins. Christ accomplished the work in order that Repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Mm. We're talking about hope. Why am I talking about repentance? Repentance is a bad word, right? Most people treat it that way. When you think about the word repentance, what do you think of? Drudgery? Dealing with yourself? Right? In this passage, as well as the majority of times that the word repentance is used in the New Testament, and by the way, Luke uses the word repentance more than any other New Testament author. And so we're going to deal with it even more in Acts. So y'all get ready. Repentance, more often than not, in the New Testament is used in a hopeful sense, in a favorable sense. Now, why is that? It's not favorable. Talk about my sinful desires and my desire to, to see Jesus as higher and holier and better. Well, I think it's such a joy because of what Christ is saying here. In Christ's sacrifice, he gives you the option to repent. What does that mean? Well, let me explain that. And thanks to Matt here for, for this one too, as we were talking this week. When you are accused of murder and you go to court and you repent, I don't know if you know how the justice system works, but you still get a sentencing. Just because you repent and say, I, I'm sorry that I did it, doesn't mean that you get off for the crime. You still have to deal with the crime. 
the judge may appreciate that. The people may appreciate that. I'm thankful that you have a change of heart. That's great. But guess what? You killed a guy, you're going to prison. And Jesus' sacrifice makes repentance the path to forgiveness. You have the option to repent and be forgiven. Repentance is joyous because it is the path that leads to forgiveness. That's why it's hopeful. That's why it's positive. Repentance is really not that confusing. So many of us uh, words in the church were confused by, and I don't know, when we think of the word repentance, I think we often imagine, you know, getting down in front of this altar and taking a cat of nine tails and like hitting ourselves in the back and dealing with the ugliest parts of ourselves. In this context, you know, really the way this word's used is that Christ suffered and died and rose again so that people in every nation may change their mind about Jesus. That they may move from a place of seeing him as a mere prophet, they may move, move from a place of seeing him as a mere mortal, as just another man, that they may see him as Lord and before his lordship and holiness, that they may give up on, the, on, the, on, the, on that very altar, give up and throw away their sins and follow Jesus as Lord. And repentance is not a one-and-done deal. And as much as you want to experience God's grace and forgiveness, repent. <laughs> Distance from the, Lord, from the Lord, wandering from the Lord, repent. It's not a bad thing, y'all. I wish I could convince y'all of that. I mean, I get it. I, I mean, it's, it's not like I wake up first thing and be like, boy, it is a good day to repent. Can't wait. Get some orange juice, go to the gym, repent. But, 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 but churches have lost this word. Don't talk about it anymore. How, how will a church proclaim repentance if they're not repentant? How will you proclaim repentance to your neighbors and the nations if you're not repentant? I mean, come on. There's a joy. See the joy in it. There's no forgiveness without repentance. There's no salvation without repentance. Repentance is this joyous and hope-filled beauty of godly grief that leads to life, leads to hope, because it's been accomplished in Christ. That's what Christ says. Listen, it's, these are a package deal. I accomplished what was necessary in order that people may repent and be forgiven. This is the big part. I, this is the part that confuses me. Here's, here's why it confuses me. Because God has orchestrated salvation throughout all of history. We've talked about that. I mean, meticulous. Everything was done for the purpose of redemption through Christ. God has preserved his word in every generation, in every place. Amen, right? Christ has suffered and he rose again. Amen. And his sacrifice is sufficient. We know that. Read the book of Hebrews. It is the all-sufficient sacrifice. All that is necessary for salvation has been accomplished. Like God, 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 God is good. Amen. And then he gives this. He says this. And then you're going to go do this. That's the part I don't get. That God uses the means he does in us to bring this hope to the world. This hope, according to scripture, will not be realized in the world by God descending on a mountaintop and speaking or secret visions. He will not do it through world leaders and powerful presidents. That's not how God is going to reveal his hope to the world. This hope is going to be realized through you. 
That's God's plan for the world. That's why I'm a little confused, to be honest with you. I do all this. Look what the Father does. He says, God does all this, and then I leave this to you. Jesus' last words, how could we have gotten the darn mission of the church so confused over the last 2,000 years? I know Satan, right? How could we? How did we make this about us? We've had a lot of clarity conversations here, and I think every church in the world, certainly in the West, has had conversations come out of COVID, like, what in the world are we doing? Why do we exist? How could we get it wrong? How confusing is this? Like, I'm talking to myself here. How could I, like, how can we not get the one thing we're supposed to do, church? You, that's me, that's us, that's the church. You know, I realized, and I was talking like, this, this is a little bit of a side here, but the way that, that, that God calls his church for, so that the world may realize hope. A lot of folks, um, well, let me just say it like this. Here's, I think if anyone anywhere is discouraged with a local church, their local church, this local church, your local church, two questions can really get at the bottom of that. All right, first question, is your church making disciples? Just think about maybe churches, maybe this one, maybe the ones you've been part of. Is your church making disciples? Answer the question in your minds. And then the second question is, are you making disciples? Answer that question in your mind. And if both of those answers are not yes, there's going to be frustration. And a lot of times we find little reasons to bring it out. But when there is a disconnect in disciple-making there's a problem. And like we as a church, every church in the world, I think right now is trying to figure out what's good, what's bad, what needs to stay, what needs to go. It's identity crisis. It's formation. It's really healthy. But y'all, we don't exist to make each other happy. Do you know that? We don't exist to make sure that, that Matt's getting everything Matt needs. <laughs> don't, we, I don't ex, we don't exist to hold Matt's hand and say, Matt could be anybody. <laughs> but his mustache just draws me to this conversation. <laughs> That, that I just, I just got to make sure that you have, like, what, do you, what should we do, Matt? You tell us, and we'll be that for you. We exist to proclaim repentance and forgiveness of sins through the sufficient work of Christ Jesus to the nations. And I'm so sick of getting bogged down in the other stuff. No more. This is why we exist. This is why Christ Church exists. So maybe the sermon should be not to make Matt happy, if Matt's the example. Just to <laughs> but listen, where, where, where could we not see this? There is no hope if the church is not mobile and mobilized. That's the way God designed it. It's not my call. This is why I love the local church, because it is an expression of God's plan to give hope to the nations. You are here this morning because you believe that you too have been called to proclaim hope 
that hope may be realized through the church. And they were so excited about that, man. Even Jesus, and we're going to read more about this in the book of Acts, but Jesus goes up to the sky, man, we're just going to worship right now. And then we're going to go back to the temple. And it created a pattern that its Holy Spirit hadn't even come here. And they were filled with the Spirit, it seems like. They're like, man, like that dude's king. And he just ate fish and honeycomb with us. The dead guy ate fish with us and he's God. And they opened Psalm 16. They had never read Psalm 16 like this before, but they're like, there he is. He's still here. Would you look at that? Look at this suffering servant. And then they, they opened, up, opened up Jonah. And they're like, look, he was in the, he's in the belly of the fish for three days. We just thought that was a really awesome story about a rebellious dude, but there's significance there. He's still here. He's still here, and his story endures forever. And all the junk, you know, they said, hey, you know, they turned on the news probably, and they saw Tucker Carlson mouthing off probably. They're like, you know what? It's going to be okay, though, no matter what they say, because he's still here. And we just ate with him. And he's seated at the right hand of the Father, and he'll come again to judge the living and the dead. It's going to be okay, because we're his church it's not our part, it's not your part, it's not my part to go fix all the world's problems. If you do that, you'll end up doing nothing. Gandalf is wise for us from Lord of the Rings. He says, it's not our part to master all the tides of the world, but to do what is in us for those years wherein we are set. Uprooting the evil in the fields that we know, so that those who live after may have clean earth to till. What weather they shall have is not ours to rule. What I'm saying is, brothers and sisters, when we talk about hope for the nations, start where you are. Be the messenger of hope where you are. And as I conclude, I just ask you the first question that you'll need to answer. Are you hopeful? Maybe you journal about this, pray about this later today, but are you hopeful? Think about that for a minute. Don't be so quick to say, oh, yes. I've got Jesus in my heart. Of course, I'm hopeful. Don't give me that mess, y'all. I mean, it's true, but it's not that way. Are you really hopeful? And it may be best to ask people around you, do you consider me to be a hopeful person? Then y'all get some real talk up in here. Deal with that. Deal with, like maybe there's repentance that needs to happen in that, in your posture. And then the follow-up question is, are you proclaiming that hope? Are you hopeful? And are you proclaiming that hope? Because we started this gospel in August of 2020. And 18 months from now, who knows what will own the headlines of that day. But God forbid we look back to March of 2022 and miss the opportunity the Lord's put before us now. Luke's gospel ends with a resurrected Savior who invites his disciples into his divine mission and to be purveyors and curators of God's great mural of salvation. So I'll leave you with a quote from Matthew Henry who says, Go, tell a guilty world that stands convicted and condemned 
at God's bar that an act of indemnity has passed the royal assent, which all that repent and believe shall have the benefit of and not only be pardoned, but preferred by God. Tell them there is hope concerning them and tell them that Christ is their living hope. So, Father, we, we believe in a Savior who is not distant but near, a Savior whose redemption has been brought near and close and designed through all of history. Father, a Savior whose sacrifice is sufficient and complete, and Savior, a mission, and Father, a mission given to us, your church, so the nations may hear of the hope in Christ. We pray to be clothed in the power of the Spirit. We pray that we may be proclaimers of hope to our neighbors and the nations alike. It is in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.